This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. No EJ today. We're going to wait till next week with him because of the general manager's meetings. He's down in Florida, so he just couldn't work out of time. But he's apolog- he apologizes and said he'll be back uh, next week. So I'm flying solo. We'll get to a lot of your tweets coming up here. But there's a few things that I wanted to be able to, to dive into you know, over the weekend. And, and maybe there's a little bias in me just because I got a chance to see both Ranger Flyer games and really got to digest the Flyers over the last couple of games. And, and this team is starting to become very legit to me. They've won five in a row. They right now have taken over second place in the Metropolitan Division. They are three points back of Washington with the same amount of games played. Pittsburgh's in free fall, by the way, which we've got to get into in a little bit here. Six consecutive losses. Just can't seem to get out of their own way. Just three wins in their last ten. But this Philadelphia team is starting to come together. And what's different about this team than other teams, you know, they went to the final in 2010. They've been a playoff team uh, randomly, I guess you could say, since then. But they've got a legit goaltender. Uh, Carter Hart is a legit goaltender. He's still young. He's not perfect by any stretch, but you know, even last night where he wasn't really overly tested, he makes the big save when he needs to make it. And they have not had that great goaltender since Ron Hextall, and they haven't really had that franchise-altering goaltender since Pelly Lindbergh. So that's a difference between this team and in recent years. They now are well-rounded. Uh, that top line of Giroux, Couturier, and Voracek, right up there in the conversation is the best line's in the league. And Couturier is the reason why, right? We've seen Giroux compete for an MVP. We've seen Voracek be good and consistent over the last few years, but Couturier has always been that enigma, right? When is he going to put it together? Well, now he looks like he's a Selkie trophy candidate. He's got, what, 22 points in his last 20 games. And a lot of that gets to be because he plays with two really good players, but they now have help for Giroux. And there's a depth there offensively that makes you feel good. The other thing, too, is their blue line. Sanheim, legit. Provorov is legit. You know, and, and they also are a gritty team, too. You, you add a Grant from Anaheim, you add a Thompson from Montreal, and you just look at the, the parts that are here. There's really no glaring weakness. Uh, they can play big, they can play finesse, they've got the goaltending, they got the blue line. And I think if you're a Flyer fan, you've got reason to be excited here because I think they're in the conversation with Washington and Pittsburgh. Now, are they Boston and Tampa? Probably not right now, but there's still you know 17 games left in the season to maybe change that perception just a little bit. I mean, Boston's just been unreal. They ruined, um, well, I shouldn't say ruined Butch Goring afternoon because it was still a great day getting his number 91 retired and all, but you know, kind of a stinker of the game for the Islanders. But Boston made that happen with a four nothing victory on Saturday afternoon. You know, in Tampa, it's kind of slowed down uh, of recent vintage. But forget about the Atlantic Division for now. You know, Philadelphia's got a plus 30 goal differential, which is the best in the division. So this is a Philadelphia team that might be able to set themselves up for a run to the conference final. And once you get there, who knows what can happen, right? Now, I'm not going to throw Pittsburgh away because they've lost six straight games, but there's some things to concern yourself with. Is it just trying to gel with all the deals that they made, bringing back Connor Sheary, bringing back, uh, bringing uh, Patrick Marlowe into the fold? We'll have to wait and see on that. And going out west is always a pain. But 15-15-2 on the road, not great. Uh, getting swept pretty much on the Western uh, Western Conference on that trip, a bit disconcerting. But Philadelphia's been able to take advantage of that. 
I like this team a lot, and I think they're right right now in the conversation as the best team in the Metropolitan Division. Now, go to the Rangers' side of it. Kind of an interesting afternoon at the Garden. You know, he had the return of Elaine Vigneault, who we should also mention, too, is a difference maker for Philadelphia. I mean, this is a legit good coach in this league. Went to the final with Vancouver, went to the final with the Rangers, won a President's Trophy in Vancouver and New York. He's a legit coach. Michelle Terrian's there on his staff. That's a really well-coached team, and I think that's also boding well for Philadelphia. But on the Rangers' side of things, all right, Henrik Lundqvist made the start yesterday, and I'm trying to tell people this, and I figured I would take advantage of this on the podcast. These these starts that you see Hank have are going to be few and far between. And I know we spent a lot of time on this podcast, what's going to happen. Well, he passed the deadline, didn't get traded. Shesterkin is recovering faster than anticipated. He's already skating from the accident a week ago. There's a very good possibility within the next week, Shesterkin is going to be back. So this little window of opportunity for Henrik Lundqvist is where he might get some starts because of the Shesterkin injury literally might have been just one more start for Hank. He was okay, not great against Philadelphia. His team did not play well in front of him. Certainly the Rangers losing Chris Kreider is going to be a bit of a problem. It was three games in four days, and with a short turnaround on that one day off playing at 12 noon, certainly didn't bode well for the Rangers who had been red hot before running into Philadelphia. But it was another one of those. You give up four goals on the first 17 shots. You can't fault him for any of the five goals. And David Quinn afterward said all the right things. It wasn't Hank's fault. I thought he played well. I, I thought he did a good job keeping us in the game in the first. Made some big saves at 5-1 to allow the Rangers to come back to make it 5-3 before they succumb. But he's not making the save he needs to save to win games. All right, Carter Hart made the big save when needed. Hank hasn't. Whether it's a long rebound... Again, can't fault him for each of the individual goals, but it is a problem when you're not starting all that often. It was his first start since February 3rd, first appearance since February 11th, and that February 11th appearance in Winnipeg was a uh, six-minute appearance in which he faced just one shot. So rust is obviously certainly a part of it, and he still at times can look pretty good, but he's not... Um, anywhere to where you would really feel like there's going to be a team that's going to want to put that kind of salary on their team for next year. Hank may be at a crossroads here. He's 38 today, and I think he's got some major decisions to make on his future, and maybe it'll be made for him. Because the Rangers have three choices on how they're going to handle it, and none of it is Hank being a starter on this team. That ship obviously sailed, sailed, uh, sailed with the way that Shostorkin has played and the way that uh, Georgiev has played. Option one, clearly, is to trade him during the offseason. They might have to take a bit of salary. Is there a team that's still going to want to bring on a 38-year-old goaltender that hardly played in his last year with the Rangers? Uh, Rangers are certainly not going to be selling high, so you're not going to get a lot for him, but just to be able to deal him. But it's a big contract. Nonetheless, you're going to have to take on And it might just be a team that is going to bring him on to compete for the starting position, maybe be a backup. But I'm not sure if they're going to be able to move him. Now, he's going to be easier to move now than he was at the deadline because you're going to have more teams involved. It's before you kind of set your salary cap so you kind of make it work for you as opposed to trying to fit in that kind of a salary at the last minute. But he's still going to be very difficult to move. I'm not sure how many teams are going to be interested in a 38-year-old goaltender making $8.5 million in the last year of his contract. All right, that's option one. Option two is to buy him out. 
buying him out can be perceived as disrespectful, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. But he's still a severe cap hit, 5.5 next year and 1.5 the year after that. Now, the Rangers would save themselves $3 million by buying him out, but not sure if they want to take on the 5.5 salary cap hit. I think they would much rather try to trade him, but a buyout would still be an option. And the other option, which I think is is a tough one, but it's still there, is trading Georgiev and getting probably a lot for him because he's a good goaltender making no money. So I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would love to bring on Alexander Georgiev and then have Hank be the backup to Shesterk in the last year of his contract. And if that works out, then maybe you extend Hank to continue to be the backup for Shesterk and so he can compile his numbers and be a part of what could be a winning team. But here's the problem with that, is this is not 10, 15 years ago where starting goaltenders played north of 70 games. Your backup goaltender can play 25, sometimes 30 games in a season. And that means you're going to want a really good goaltender for those 25 to 30 games, which Alexander Georgiev is. So do I want to trade away a better goaltender just to say Henrik Lundqvist is here for another year? That's a difficult spot. I wouldn't do that. Maybe the Rangers would. Maybe bringing a a huge package back would be better for the team to do that. And maybe because Shesterkin is so young, you can say, hey, maybe maybe he can play 65, 70 games. And we're talking about maybe 12 or 15 games that our backup can play, and we feel comfortable with Hank doing that. And the other option is in Hank's court, does it become almost an Eli Manning situation where he says, listen, I want to play, but it doesn't look like there's much interest out there. I'm going to retire. Not crazy for a 38-year-old to retire, for sure, especially with the amount of games, not just in the NHL, but internationally he's played. So... I know we keep bringing it up, but I think it's still one of the most fascinating stories in the NHL. Uh, Michael Kay, who I do the show with here in New York, always says one of the most difficult things to do for a franchise is to deal with an aging legend, and and that's what the Rangers are dealing with here. Uh, But clearly this team is ready to move on, but out of respect, he continues to be here, but eventually decisions are going to have to be made. Does Hank make it easy for them and retire? Will the Rangers be cold-blooded and buy him out? Or will be there be a team out there that would want to bring him on during the course of the offseason? We're going to have to wait and see how that works itself out. Great job out of Columbus last night. Four unanswered goals in the third period against Vancouver and get a huge win. And they now have 78 points for that final wild card spot. Now, they played 67 games. That's the problem with the Blue Jackets is everybody's got games in hand on them. Islanders, three games in hand. Carolina, three games in hand. The Rangers, two games in hand. Florida with a game in hand. But when you're talking about the Rangers' chance of making the playoffs, if not the Rangers, then who? I mean, I think a lot of people have discarded Columbus because of the injuries and the amount of games played, but they're still hanging in there, and that was a big win for them last night. Carolina did squeeze out a point against Montreal. They're a point ahead of the Rangers. Rangers, of course, lost two in a row, both to Philadelphia, and have a very tough week coming up. St. Louis on Tuesday, Washington on Thursday. Florida still very much alive at 73 points. I think Montreal is done. So I think Florida, the Rangers, Carolina are the three teams that have the shot. But Columbus showed me something last night. It looked like it was going to be another loss, and they'd be sitting there with 76 points, still hanging on to a playoff spot, but barely. But Columbus did a good job in that third period and maybe at least kept themselves uh, in the conversation for at least a little while for a chance to still make the playoffs. So I think the Rangers are still very, very much involved. Florida still very much involved. Carolina, they got to figure out their goaltending, but they, I guess, are still 
uh, very much alive. And that was a good point to get against Montreal because they were dead in the water, scored a goal late, eventually lost in overtime, but it still earned that point. Now here's Columbus's schedule moving forward. They've got to still go out to Western Canada. All right? They've got to go to Calgary, Edmonton, and then to Vancouver again. That's killer. All right? Then you come home against Pittsburgh and Nashville, all right? Pittsburgh, your figure's going to straighten themselves out. Nashville's been hot. Then you're at Boston, home against Washington, at Toronto, New Jersey, and the Rangers. Then they've got a trip. Get this trip. Back-to-back days, too. Explain this one to me. At Tampa, at Dallas, all right? I'm not a king of geography, but Florida and Texas are not that close, to where you play back-to-back days, and then you lose the hour going. To, uh, just it, That's crazy to me. And then you close out the, the month of March at uh, home against the Islanders. And then the last two games of the season also back-to-back, home against Tap- Tampa at Carolina. That is a beast of a schedule for Columbus. So I don't think Columbus is going to make it. Who's going to take advantage of that? Carolina, the Rangers, or the Panthers? The Panthers, to me, are intriguing because they've got Bobrovsky, who... We know he's a big-time goaltender, even though he's had an awful year. They have the coach, you would think, that can handle these situations in Quinville. Here is their schedule. Home against Boston. Home against Montreal. Then they go on a road trip at St. Louis at Dallas with two days separating, so that's pretty good. All right, Then home against New Jersey at Detroit at Winnipeg. Those are back-to-back games. Then home against Buffalo, home against St. Louis. Back-to-back games on the road, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal again, Boston, and then the Rangers to close out the month. And their last two games are Ottawa and Washington. So a much easier schedule than Columbus, a much easier schedule than the Rangers. I think Florida very much in the conversation to still make the playoffs, even though they have played poorly, winning just three of their last ten games. Now let's go out west. St. Louis still hot, seven straight wins. Columbus still hot. Colorado still hot with six straight wins. That was an amazing game between St. Louis and Dallas, by the way, in which St. Louis won on Saturday in the shootout. But you can just see watching that game that these are two outstanding teams. But seven points do separate them with St. Louis top, three points ahead of Colorado, and then seven points ahead of Dallas. Vegas had a tough loss against the Los Angeles Kings. I mean, applaud the Kings. I mean, the Kings are doing a good job trying to stick uh, their nose into this uh, playoff race, even though they're out of it. They've been a tough team to play. Vegas has won eight of their last ten, but that was a tough spot. And I'm I'm just curious. Everybody loves Vegas. I'm curious on how Mark andre Fleury is going to be able to handle it. He's getting older now. I mean, listen, he was good enough to uh, almost uh, win a cup two years ago, but those are two long years. So Edmonton's still very much involved. They won over the weekend. They've got 76 points. Calgary's now in the third spot with 76. Vancouver's dropped to the wild card with 74. Nashville with 72. But again, the same problems with Winnipeg and Arizona. 67 games played for those two teams. So even though they're tied in points with Nashville, they've got three more games played than Nashville. So that's going to be tough. And Minnesota, they're coming off a loss to the um, Capitals. They're still still alive at just one point out. And they've played 65 games. So just just one more game uh, than Nashville. So that's where we stand on the playoff uh, hunt. Uh, as far as the general managers' meetings, we'll get more information as the week goes on. But um, a couple of things that are on the table, reevaluating the emergency goaltender, as great as the David Aris story was, uh, is that ideal for these big games with the regular season being so much more meaningful than it was back in the day? 
Should there be some sort of a tweak to the system? So even though it's a great story, having a 42-year-old Zamboni driver playing in a big game for you, even though he played well and made eight saves and won the game, is that situation ideal moving forward? Um, possibility of allowing a player to be onside, even though his skate is off the ice. We've talked about this before. I think that's a good idea because depth perception is something that's very difficult to determine in replay. I think most of the replays that last a long time are determining whether the skate's on the ice or not. So I think that would be a good idea. And the possibility of all challenges by the coach coming with a delay of game if it is not reversed by the officials, some of the things that are being batted around, and we'll have more information as the week goes on. Let's close it out with your tweets. Uh, Joey D says, top six for the Rangers seems unbalanced with the Kreider injury, which seems to have affected their play. So what changes do they need to make to get back to the win column? Well, David Quinn said it before the game yesterday that it's an audition for that winger position. They tried Di Giuseppe yesterday. Um, Di Giuseppe's a nice player. I don't know if he's a top-line player. So I think as the as the season goes on here, and still no timetable on Kreider's return, if at all, is just trying to find that right combination to play with Zibanejad, Jad, and Bushnevich. But when they needed a goal, they were playing Panarin on a bunch of different lines. So I think it's just going to be an ongoing experiment. But you're right. You know, to lose Kreider and replace him with Di Giuseppe. No offense to Di Giuseppe, but they're they're night and day as far as um, where they are in their careers and 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 the depth that they have talent wise. Aaron says, if Philly wins the Metropolitan, um, would you be more excited or disappointed to see Caps Penguins in the first round? Well, that's an interesting um, debate. But you know what? If they didn't win the division, and I'm not sure you can say that the Penguins are an elite team the way that they're in this free fall with six consecutive losses. So no. Uh, I would not be disappointed because I'm not sure that it's a foregone conclusion that these are two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference anymore or even in the Metropolitan Division anymore. So I know it's a great rivalry, but it would really spice up the first round for sure. So, no, I would not be disappointed. Ryan says, Don, love uh, the Rangers, but I think the team lacks a little physicality and someone who can win face-offs while watching them against the Flyers. They were dominated in both areas. Do you think this is something the Rangers could address during the offseason? When you say toughness, certainly the game has changed. There's not the hitting that there used to be. But trying to find somebody that can play physical and not stupid is what you're looking for. And I think they believe they have that in Brendan Lemieux. But the problem is he goes over the edge too much. Took a 10-minute misconduct uh, yesterday. Uh, missed a good portion of the game. He's got to kind of balance that self out. He plays with an edge, but I, I think they need something a little bit more physical, as you say. So that's probably something I'm looking for. And getting crushed in the faceoff dot it's just been a problem for a long time for this team. Um, they're just getting destroyed, and you're right. Give credit to Philadelphia. They were just flat-out better at it, but uh, it's this is not the first year in which we've talked about them struggling with, uh, with face-offs. Forever TH says, What high-end prospect that has come out in the draft in the past disappointed you the most? Mine would be Rick DiPietro. It hurts me because DiPietro is a member of our family here at ESPN, but I think you would even admit that being the first overall pick has been a, a bit of a disappointment for him. Um, you look at, uh, you know, Taylor Hall, who has won an MVP in this league, but he was the first overall pick by Edmonton, gets traded to New Jersey, wins an MVP there, gets traded to Arizona. There's a good chance that Arizona won't re-sign him, so there's a possibility he'll play for his fourth team. So he was the first overall pick. Can't say that he's had a disappointing career winning an MVP, but you know, when you look at the first overall pick and could be playing on four uh, different teams so early in his career, kind of hops to mind. 
Um, there's a lot of players that have been drafted right now. What's the situation with Nolan Patrick? Not playing because of the migraine headaches. Um, it's a physical issue, but this was the second overall pick in the draft, and it's not uh, bore any fruit. I mean, I don't know how you feel about Nico Heeshier. It's been a little bit of a slow build for him, but as the first overall pick in his third year, do you believe that he's lived up uh, to expectations since being drafted first overall? So these are the, the more recent ones that kind of pop uh, into my head. I mean, you could look at um, Jessamine in 2003, which was the last first-round pick to actually make it to the National Hockey League and didn't even do it with the team that drafted him, the New York Rangers. Those are some off the top of my head. Says, hi, Don. 16-5-1 with a 30% power play since January at home. And Hart is 18-2-2 with a goal against average of under two. They're getting secondary scoring with Sanheim and Myers or emerging as a great second pair on defense. I find uh, might be biased, but I think the conference finals are a possibility. What do you say? And as I, that's what I opened with the podcast with all the reasons that you said. Um, this is a team that I think is starting to emerge as my pick to win this division. And somebody had asked me last week of the teams that I had in the top five on Friday, and I had Philadelphia at four. Uh, which of those teams can have the best chance to surprise? And I said it was going to be Philadelphia. Uh, James says, which teams will get the last two wild card spots? I'm assuming you're talking about the Eastern Conference. Boy, it's it's tough. Um, I think the Islanders will hold on to it. I, I don't think the Islanders will climb past Pittsburgh, although they're just two points back. But I, I do think Pittsburgh will settle themselves. I think the Islanders will be a wild card team. But the $64,000 question, as I mentioned, Columbus, with all the games played in that tough schedule, I think are out. Uh, Carolina, with the goaltending situation, you would think they're out. So I think it comes down to the Rangers and the Panthers. And I might surprise you here. I might go with the Panthers just because of the easier schedule in Joel Quinville. Um, I, and with Kreider out for the Rangers, I'm probably leaning towards maybe Florida surprising but some things have to happen here and that means Bobrovsky's got to play better but they've kind of hung in there they haven't disappeared at all they've been pretty solid on the road home has been their problem 16 14 and 3 they're actually five games above NHL 500 on the road um they've only won three of their last 10 but still hanging around I think they they do have a hot spurt in them I that that's who I would predict to get that last playoff spot I would think differently if the Rangers schedule wasn't so hard and if Chris Kreider was healthy um, and maybe they get back to Sturkin earlier than expected. But uh, it's going to come right down to the wire. It's going to be a last, a fun last month of the season. It ends on April 4th. Today is March 2nd. So a month and a couple of days before the regular season uh, comes to an end. All right, back with you again on Wednesday. Leah Hextall will be our special guest. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more information out of the general manager's meetings, a couple more games uh, to deal with as well. Very light schedule tonight. Just a couple of games on the docket. Avalanche at the Red Wings in Detroit and the Predators home for the Oilers. That's the game I want to see. Should be a lot of fun. Both of those teams desperate for points. Both teams are playoff teams now, but they want to hold on to it as precarious as that is. And then we've got a lot more games coming up on Tuesday, so we'll recap all that coming up on Wednesday. Want to get in touch with me? The best way to do that, at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. This was fun. EJ will be back next week. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.